0: weeks we were going to be done on the topic of missions and just some things that we've been looking at uh, biblically, uh, just trying to uh, make sure as we look forward to the, um, the ministry of our missions program here at Keitha Heights, uh, that we get more involved in it, uh, also that we understand as we look at and pray about new missionaries down the road what types of things we ought to be looking for, and um, I think sometimes, uh, if we're not careful, churches uh, pick and choose what missionaries they're going to support based on um, how they like them, that first impression of meeting them for an hour or so at church. And, uh, boy, that was a great family, and they were personable, and uh, they smiled a lot, and they, they preached well, and all these things that were really good. And uh, so sometimes we, we pick based on personality. Uh, sometimes we pick on uh, uh, based on the mission field. Maybe we have a specific burden for that particular country. and um, so, there we go. we got some folks coming on in, so y'all feel free come right on in. And just getting started tonight. So, good to see you folks. So we're in Acts chapter number 9. We actually just got started after our prayer time here. And uh, Acts chapter number 9. And uh, so, anyway, we've been dealing with the issue of missions. And uh, one of the things we need to be aware of... Uh, in looking at missions and missionaries is uh, the fact that they are not just uh, separate entities and missions uh, that we support, but literally when we support a missionary, we expect them to be an extension of our work and our ministry. It's a way for us to meet the Great Commission. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, uh, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me unto Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. And you and I can't always physically or or, uh, monetarily or or schedule-wise go into uh, the uttermost parts of the world. So when a missionary is somebody that we accept and we say, okay, we're going to support this missionary, we want them to be uh, agreed in our uh, doctrine and in our, our distinctives, what we hold to as Baptists, and uh, we need to make sure that we can put our stamp of approval and say we're fellow laborers with this person uh, and they are an extension of our ministry in helping us to accomplish the Great Commission. So we've spent a couple of weeks dealing with that topic uh, and giving some Um, some instructions regarding uh, what our purpose is in missions, uh, the biblical pattern of missions, and uh, all that missions involves. And uh, so tonight we uh, we started on this last week, and we're going to get through the rest of it. Tonight we started on the things that ought to be uh, being done on the mission field. So when we look at prayer letters that are sent or reports from the missionaries, uh, we want to make sure that these types of things are being done. Uh, according to Scripture. So Acts chapter number 9, if you will, let's look there. Uh, Down in verse number 20, we looked at this just towards the end of last week. Um, This is the Apostle Paul who uh, has been saved on the road to Damascus. And Ananias has come and um, has uh, uh, laid hands on him, prayed with him, baptized him. And uh, the the scales came from his eyes. And God has set Paul apart now uh, for the work of the ministry. And the Bible says in verse number 20, and straightway, and I love those words like straightway and immediately. Um, I'm th- I I'm reminded when Christ was walking by the Sea of Galilee and called his disciples. Uh, the Bible says straightway uh, and immediately they left their nets and they left their father and they left their boats and they followed him. And the idea that uh, when we're going to, if we're going to serve the Lord, uh, we ought not sit back and say, well, one of these days when I get to the place where I can, I'll serve God. Uh, these are things that we can be doing right now. Uh, I had a young man come to me years ago. Uh, he was about 11 years old, and he said, "Pastor, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a great idea for our radio station." He said, "I think, I think we ought to have somebody take the Bible and just start with Genesis 1 and go verse by verse and teach on each verse all the way through the whole Bible from the beginning to the end." And I said, "Great. When are you going to start?" And he looked at me kind of like, "What?" He said, "I can't do it." And I said, "Well, why not?" Why do we have to wait until we're older and our minds are not as clear and they're not as sharp? Paul told Timothy to be an example of the believers and his youth and the idea that he wasn't supposed to let people despise his youth, but to be an example of the believers. I'll be honest with you, my brain doesn't hold the things it used to hold. It leaks a lot more than it used to. I don't memorize the way that I used to. My uh, mind and my attention is distracted far easier when I'm trying to read and study Scripture than it used to be. And uh, young people, I think, are highly overlooked. As, as godly parents and as godly families and as a church, we ought to be training and teaching our young people uh, to uh, be the example of the believers. We ought to be looking at younger folks and saying, Boy, I wish I was that kind of a Christian. And we expect far too little sometimes out of our young people. And uh, I think that it ought to be something that we raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And they're not going to be perfect. They're young but we're going to teach them and we're going to train them. The elder men are supposed to teach the, the younger men and the elder ladies the younger ladies, and we are to nurture them and, and raise them and rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But uh, we find that here straightway, the Bible says that Paul, uh, he says in straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that He is the Son of God. You can boil all the different types of missionaries that are out there that do different things. There are missionaries that only do humanitarian work. There are technical missionaries that only support uh, other missionaries and try to uh, be the back lines for uh, the missionaries that are on the front line and help keep a line of uh, supply and support to them. And uh, I will say this, uh, every missionary, regardless of whether they are involved in humanitarian work or helps ministries, or uh, technical ministries, or whether they're a preacher out on the front line, one of the primary things that needs to be in every missionary, and by the way, one of the primary things that needs to be in every one of our members in our church, is a spirit of evangelism and teaching people about the Lord Jesus Christ, taking the gospel to them. And so preaching is a major, major thing. And not everybody can get up behind a pulpit and pastor. We know that the Bible gives certain things. Uh, you know, We're not supposed to have women preachers. Uh, as far as getting up in church and usurping over a man doctrine. But women are still to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere they go, just like men are. And so we find that this um, uh, idea of preaching publicly and uh, making sure that we uh, share the gospel everywhere we go, I'm not opposed to having uh, a soul winning time at the church. But I'll be real frank with you. We sometimes uh, establish, uh, I remember years years ago growing up in my church that my dad pastored, every Thursday night was soul winning visitation 7 o'clock. And don't you change it to 6 or you're not a good Baptist. Uh, it had to be 7 o'clock Thursday night every night. And just we were there, rain or shine, didn't matter. The The fear I have and one of the things I've seen over the years is if we're not careful, we'll get to the mindset of that's the only time I'm supposed to go soul winning. That's the only time I'm supposed to... Uh, yeah, we, go, we tell people about the, the, the Lord from 7 to 8 on Thursday nights. That should never be our mindset. I, I, I'm not opposed to having those times. I think there's some benefit to that. But I would rather I see a, our church be excited about sharing the gospel with everybody everywhere they go. Uh, as you go through the day, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with somebody. Uh, I, I I, not everybody's able to do this. But I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I've gotten to the place in my life where uh, I'm busy. There's certainly no doubt I'm busy, and other people I know that are busy. But when an opportunity to share the gospel comes along, if there's any way possible, stop what you're doing. That's an amazing opportunity that God has brought your way. And it could be something that we could look at and say, straightway, we were bre- preaching Christ to them. We were sharing the gospel with them. And so I think missionaries ought to be this mind, uh, this mindset, uh, that they don't just have uh, a service on Sunday and a service on Wednesday and maybe a visitation time on Thursday or some people do it on Saturday or whatever night they choose. A missionary ought to be the same way we are. They ought to be an extension of us. And we ought to be such that we're looking for opportunities to share the gospel everywhere we go. It ought to be a natural thing, by the way. Amen. Amen. I'm tired of Christians that have to go to seminars and learn how to soul. And I'm not saying that there's ever a bad time to show somebody from God's Word verses they can use or help them with that area. But really, when, when we go telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to be something that we're so amazed with in our own life that we just share with them what God's done for us. It ought to be a natural thing. It ought not to be something that, uh, boy, we've got to set the schedule and uh, I've got to go through the ABCs of the Romans Road. It it ought to be something that flows naturally of us. The Bible talks about bearing fruit. Uh, And to me, the the fruit of the Spirit is an amazing thing. It's not something that um, we, we work toward or we labor toward. It's just the more that we are submitted and yielded to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the more that fruit becomes apparent. Have you ever known a tree to work and labor to bear fruit? No, it just happens. As it's getting nourishment, it grows, it deepens its root, it strengthens itself because it has a purpose. And the purpose is to bear fruit. And so it's got to have this strength, it's got to have this growth to be able to bear the fruit. And, and the problem is, and the reason why a lot of Christians don't bear the fruit, and I've taught this before, is we're not getting enough nourishment. We're not, we're not following God, we're not walking in the, in the Scriptures, we're not reading and praying and walking with God daily and getting enough spiritual nourishment to bear fruit in our lives. And I'll be real frank with you, when it comes to soul winning, it ought not be something that we schedule and say, here's when it is, and this is the only time I'm doing it. I've heard people say, well, if you don't schedule it, you'll never do it. And that is true to some degree, unless you live with the mindset of everywhere I go, I'm looking for opportunities. And I'll tell you, we ought to be praying that way. We ought to be living that way. When I read my Bible about the believers in the early church, that's the way they were. Daily in the temple, the Bible says, and from house to house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. When, when Charles Spurgeon took a, a, a one day that he took a, 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 some time off and went on a picnic with some friends, it was said later on by one of his friends, we never knew when he was speaking to us and when he was speaking to God. They said he spoke so quickly and seamlessly between the two. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live that way? If we were so in tune with what God wanted with our lives, that that was our life. The Bible talks about when Christ, who is our life, that phrase, I, I never get over that. That He is our life. When we wake up in the morning and be thinking, Lord, what, what am I going to do today? You've given me another day to serve you. And another day to share the gospel. And so these are the types of things we want to see and find in missionaries. Not, not just somebody that we like and whose personality is great. They've got a nice prayer card. They've got a nice video. And the field appeals to us. We ought to be looking for men and women who, who have that desire in the Christian life to live daily walking in the Spirit. And that their life is consumed with that. Uh, and so we find uh, Saul was that way. The Bible says it immediately, straightway. Uh, he preached Christ in the synagogues, that He is the Son of God. The second one I wanted us to look at was Acts chapter number 14. Acts chapter number 14 and verse number 23. Acts chapter 14, verse number 23. The Bible says, and they wrote... letter. Uh, uh, chapter 15, sorry. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with uh, fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And uh, so we find that they were establishing churches. Let's back up verse 22 so we can get the context. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, they had prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Uh, folks, Every church. Every church including Keitha Heights Baptist Church, ought to have a burden to plant churches. We ought to be training and teaching and raising up Christians in this church that say, I'm ready to go. There was a dear friend of mine I grew up with. His name is Bill Rudd. And we grew up literally across the street from each other from the time we were little kids. We played all summer long together. He got saved at a young age coming to church and visiting Sunday school with me. And uh, we went to, co- went to the same college, and he didn't come the same time I, I did because I was four years ahead of him, five years ahead of him. And so he came the year after I graduated to the same college I went to. And um, both of us surrendered to the ministry. Both of us were serving the Lord. And for a number of years, God gave me the great privilege to have him serve alongside of me as my assistant pastor. And I love him very dearly. He and I are dear friends. And he came to me one day after he had been serving there for probably seven, eight years. He knocked on my door and he was tears coming down his face. And uh he said, Pastor, you've you've preached me out of here. And I said, Well, what are you talking about? He said, I got a I got a pastor. I've got a pastor at church. God's just broken my heart. And uh you know how that is, you mixed emotions. Uh I I told somebody one time like when your mother-in-law drives off a cliff in your new Cadillac, you know, the mixed emotion idea. And uh, I was so, so sad that my dear friend that I loved laboring alongside of was going to be leaving me. And the next moment I was so excited for him that God had called him to pastor a church. And he found a little church out in Kansas, and he uh, went out there, just a small church plant, And he took that church. It's a small church, small community. And he's been faithful out there now for a number of years, every once in a while. In fact, last week he called me, and uh, we talked to each other occasionally. And uh, I I missed his call last week, and he left me a voicemail. But uh, what a a joy, isn't it, to see people that are raised up in church, that are are discipled and taught in doctrine, and then they go out and, and start other churches, or they pastor other churches, and that ought to be what the pattern of the New Testament church is. I went with a friend of mine I shared with you a couple of weeks ago down to El Salvador, a missionary that's one of the directors now at BIMI, a dear friend of mine that we went down to El Salvador. He and his wife had been there two different four-year periods and came back with a furlough in the middle. And they started one church the first four years and started another church the next four years. And a few years ago I went down there to visit with him some of those churches And uh, those two churches had started in twenty, about 22 years, I think it was at that time. They had started over 70 other churches, seven zero. And they had men sitting on the front pews of each of the two churches, the two mother churches there, if you call them that, the two churches that had planted all these. They had men on the front row on this side of both of those churches that had already been through the Bible Institute, had been trained, and were waiting for churches to pastor. And they were on schedule to start a new church and plant a new church every ten months. And I came back to the States. I thought, what have we been doing? What have we been doing? All that we would learn to, to be a reproducing church. And missionaries that we look to and we send to the field and we put our dollars behind and our support behind, we want them to be church planting missionaries, churches that have the mindset, not only am I going to take and build a church, but I want to teach that church to build another church. And all that we would learn these things. And uh, the Bible says here in Acts chapter number 14 that there were a number of churches in verse number 23, and they made sure that they had elders for each one of those churches. They trained them. It's interesting to me that Paul would take some of these men and and you'll read about his travels, oftentimes he'll mention the men that are with him. And the reason for that was Paul was mentoring them and and teaching and training them. Some of them we have record of in Scripture. Timothy was one of them. Titus was one of them. And Paul writes letters to them teaching and training them things of ministry. And we ought to be a church like that. And we ought to support missionaries that are of that mindset. Look with me also in chapter number 14. And uh, I want you to notice um, that they were a, uh, I'm sorry, chapter number 15, that they were involved in strengthening the churches. Look with me in chapter 15 and verse number 41. The Bible says, and he went through Syria and uh, Cilicia uh, Cilicia confirming the churches. Uh, Paul didn't just start a church and and leave and, and never communicate with them again. He wanted to make sure that these churches were thriving and that they were being encouraged. Can I tell you this? Last year, 4,000 churches in the United States of America shut their doors. 4,000 of them. 1,500 plus preachers walked away from the pulpit, most of them not to return. And I look at that and I think, I wonder how many could have been saved and salvaged if somebody had come along and just been an encouragement to them. I am an independent, fundamental Baptist. I make no bones about that. But if I see another brother that is an independent, fundamental Baptist that is struggling and having a difficult time, I want to be an encouragement to them. I want to try to pray with them. I want to try to come and take them for lunch and say, Brother, what can I do? I want to be praying for that person. Can I tell you this? It is far easier to keep a church going and to start a brand new one from scratch. Not to mention these men, and out of those 1,500, over half of them were from simple discouragement and burnout. A, a large portion of them were not pastoring or left the ministry because of sin they had gotten into that disqualified them from ministry. And we say, well, those couldn't have been helped. And I think, no, could they have? I wonder how many of those men got into the sin they got into simply because they had gotten to the point of discouragement and nobody nobody came along that cared for their soul. Nobody brought encouragement. Nobody said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. I have a large list of preachers in my phone that almost without fail every weekend I, I text them. I said, Brother, I'm praying for you today. I want them to know there's a preacher somewhere that's praying for them. I was telling somebody just, I think it was today, that there was, there was a time in my ministry that I would have given my right arm to have a preacher call me up and say, Brother, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do to help you? We need to have missionaries that have this kind of spirit about them. I love the spirit of our church. I love the fact that they're caring for each other and loving one another and caring for people. And we need to have missionaries that we support that are extensions of us extensions of this ministry. we need to have men that will go about strengthening the churches. look with me in Acts chapter number 16 verse number four Acts chapter number 16 the Bible says and when they as they went through the cities they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem <clears throat> and so were the churches established in the faith. And increased in number daily. All oh, that we would learn to encourage churches, help them be established, not wavering, not, not full of discouragement. Look with me in Acts chapter number 18, verse number 11. Acts chapter number 18, and verse number 11. Let's go to verse number 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the, night, in the night by a vision Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. If you go down to verse number 23, the Bible says, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening... All the disciples. We need to have missionaries that are involved in preaching, evangelizing, not just involved in the humanitarian only or the technical fields only. I don't have a problem with a humanitarian focused missionary or a technically focused missionary, but they need to be focused on evangelizing and preaching the gospel. We need to have missionaries that are involved in church planting and make that a priority. And we need to uh, find missionaries and support missionaries that have a heart to strengthen the brethren. To go to churches in those fields and be a help and an encouragement to them. Uh, Look with me in chapter number 19. Chapter number 19 and verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. We find here that Paul was involved in teaching the doctrines uh, of the church. And the Bible says here that he spoke boldly in the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. He wanted to make sure these people were well grounded. They knew their stuff, training uh, folks. By the way, uh, the Bible says that we are to uh, commit, the Bible says in I think 2 Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. We're to take the things that we know and learn in Scripture and the doctrine that we know and the distinctives that we hold to as Baptists, and we're to take and instill that in other people. Not just give them a head knowledge. I'm all for Bible colleges. I think they're okay. Uh, I think that there's some benefit to that. But can I tell you this? In four years' time, you're working toward a degree and you're really working toward a grade, grade, and most of the time, our motivation is to learn the material to put on a test. I'd far rather see some people that would, would invest in other people and train and mentor and teach them things that, that they, won't, they won't soon forget. And, in chapter number 20, in verse number, and, and Paul was one of these folks, chapter number 20 of the book of Acts, verse number 17, the Bible says, "...and this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, um, and uh, fear fell on, on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified." And many that believed <clears throat> came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of, the, of the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in, in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, and he, uh, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So he has these fellow laborers. He has these men that he's trained. Verse number 23, In the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain to, uh, unto the craftsmen. Uh, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, we know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but all, almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. But wouldn't that be wonderful if it could be said of God's people today? Look at the things. You say, we don't have a a temple to the goddess Diana. No, but look at all the idolatry in our country. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of God's people that they're they're making a dent in the things that this world has to offer. And her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Verse 28, And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, Having caught uh, Gaius and Aristarchus, again, two men that Paul was mentoring. In fact, if you ever get a chance to study a little bit about Aristarchus, what a great fellow, what a great fellow. He's mentioned three or four different times in Scripture uh, as a fellow laborer and a fellow sufferer of the Apostle Paul. This man was faithful. What What a great character in Scripture. Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. "...they rushed with one accord into the theater, and when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not, and certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, (coughs) and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together." And they drew Alexander out of the multitude; the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned to the hand that would have made his defence unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice, about the space of two hours, cried, "Greatest I am of the Ephesians!" <coughs> Excuse me. And when the town clerk had appeared to the people, he said, "Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how the city of uh, how the city of the Ephesians?" Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and from the image that which fell down from Jupiter. So Paul is, is working and mentoring and training these men and he's sending them into places that, I'll be real frank with you, are not easy places to go to. These men are steadfast. They're faithful to the task at hand. Uh, look with me in Second Timothy chapter number 2. And this is the verse I was referring to a moment ago. Second Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 2. And Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. If you'll take time to look through Scripture, and I don't have time tonight to go through all of them, but there are over 100 names that are attached to the Paul, to the Apostle Paul's ministry. Out of all of those, 36 of those, he refers to as fellow Laborers. Isn't that a wonderful term? Can I tell you this? When we send out or approve a missionary or we support a missionary, they are a fellow laborer in ministry. They have a part in what we're doing here. I want you to notice one other thing, and we'll be done tonight, Lord willing. Look with me in uh, Third John. Third John, and uh, let's look in verse number 8. 3 John, verse eight. Uh, I'm going to back up. Uh, let's back up a little bit and get the context. Verse number four. He says, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth." Beloved, thou dost faith, doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey. Uh, After a godly sort, thou shalt do well. So again, these are folks that are traveling and spreading the gospel. Verse number 7, he says, Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be, what's the next word here? What is it? Fellow helpers to the truth. When we have a missionary that we take on for support, it needs to be one that we can put our dependence in, if you will, that they will be faithful to be an extension of what we are. We need to be assured of that. Uh, We need to be careful that we are prayerfully and carefully selecting missionaries. That they will be someone who will be church planners. They'll be preachers of the gospel. They're encouragers. They strengthen other churches and other brethren that they're training and teaching leaders. And by the way, can I say this? We cannot expect from them things that we ourselves are not doing and practicing here. These are things that we as a church need to be involved in. uh, But I will say this. Not only are they fellow laborers with our ministry, but according to 3 John in verse 8, the Bible says that we become fellow laborers of their ministry. And boy, what a, great, what a great truth. To be able to think, I can't go to some of these places. I can't go to Tibet. Or I may not be able to go to the uh, Croatia, uh, as Alex is doing. But I can have a part in what these folks are doing in those countries. Missions ought to be something that helps our church Accomplish the Great Commission, and so as we look in the next several months, we focus on missions. We look to missions, uh, missionaries that we already are supporting, and and evaluate some of those. There's a few that we may look at again and say, should we be supporting them? And you say, Brother Greg, that's that's hard-hearted to tell somebody we can't support them after we've been supporting them. But folks, I would rather be biblical than to not hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not out to hurt feelings for the sake of hurting feelings. But we want to be biblical in our missions program. And so we'll be looking at some over the next several weeks and months and praying about what God would have us to do. I will say this. I like the idea, and we touched on this last week. Uh, I like the idea that in the early church, when they sent a missionary, the Bible says that they took them, they they prayed over them, they laid hands on them, and they sent them. And we have 22 missionaries right now that we are supporting And I know a lot of churches pride themselves on how many missionaries they support. Folks, I am not interested in that number at all. I am more interested in how are we supporting those missionaries that we do support. What good does it do if we have 200 missionaries, but they're starving to death on the mission field? We need to make sure that we take good care of these missionaries. I've written to several of them in the last month, and I'm going to be continuing to get in touch with. I've talked with a number of them. And finding out where they're at in their support. I'm sure with the COVID, many of them, all the ones that I've talked to at least, have lost support. And we as a church, before we ever take on any new missionaries, I think we owe it to our missionaries that we already support to take a look at them and say, is there something more we can do as a church to be a help to them? And so I want us to keep these things in mind. Lord willing, over the next few months, we will be uh, having a written missions policy here that we'll put out for the church to evaluate and we'll discuss and we'll make changes and tweak it to where our church can be in full agreement that this is a biblical uh, set of things that will be guiding us. Um, It's not uh, taking the place of praying and asking the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. It's uh, a first step of vetting missionaries, if you will, uh, to make sure that they meet certain biblical criteria. And having done that, then we pray and we say, Lord, what would you have us to do? And uh, we want to certainly be not only biblical, but being obedient to what God would lead us to do in those areas. So a little different Wednesday night service. Uh, Ronnie, good to have your family here with us tonight. And uh, kind of a little different service because we're teaching our church right now on missions. Tonight's our last night. Uh, next, next Wednesday I'll be gone. Brother Dan Roberts will be here preaching. And uh, I've got to take a trip to Florida and take my daughter down there. And uh, then I will be back two weeks from tonight, and Lord willing, unless he changes the direction, uh, we're going to begin a series on judgment, uh, a topic that is very much spoken about among believers and Christians, but very little understood scripturally. Are we to judge? If we are, when are we to judge? Who are we to judge? And how are we to judge? What are we to use as the standard that we judge them by? And we're going to look at all of those in depth from Scripture. By the time we're done with this series, you won't have any question about, well, should I be judging? Should I not be judging? You'll know exactly what the Bible has to say about it. And uh, if you have any questions after that, you'll have to take them up with God because that will be all I know about it from Scripture. Um, but we're, Lord willing, we're going to do that. It will probably be a four or five week uh, series on Wednesday nights. Um, but I believe a very critical one. One that I think a lot of Christians misunderstand. Um, And because of that, we don't judge the things we should. And a lot of times we judge a lot of things that we shouldn't. And we want to know what does the Bible have to say about it. So uh, don't miss it. Make sure you make plans to be here uh, because you certainly don't want to miss that. All right? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Thank you all for coming tonight. And good to have our visitors there in the back. Uh, Good to have you folks with us tonight. And uh, certainly a joy to have you here. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful that it teaches and shows us the things that we ought to do in our lives, the things we ought not to do, how we ought to live now that we're saved. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rightly understand it, that we would hold to the truths of it. And, uh, Lord, there are times that uh, maybe I've been taught a certain way or maybe I've thought a certain way, Lord, I pray that you would help me not to hold to the things I hold to simply because I was taught something or because I've felt this way about it. <coughs> but, Lord, that we would hold to what the Scripture say. May we be biblical in the matter. And so, Father, I pray that over the next several weeks, as we begin this study on uh, judgment, and, Lord, a very, very critical subject, I believe, I pray that you'll give your guidance and your direction. Lord, may you give kindness and graciousness in the messages that Uh, We're not mean-spirited just for the sake of being mean-spirited, but Lord, may we be biblical, and may we be steadfast and stand on those truths. We pray that you'll bless the time uh, that we've spent here together tonight. May it be something that we ponder and reflect on and pray about in the days ahead as we look at our missions program. Lord, I pray that you would help to call to memory and that your Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things, the principles that we've discussed over the last several weeks regarding our missions program here. And so, Father, help us tonight. Dismiss us now with your blessings. Give us safety as we travel home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.